0: This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you.
1: A Bible reading from John chapter 17, verses 6 to verse 19. Jesus said, I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world they were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word now they know that every everything you have given me is from you for the words that you gave to me I have given to them and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me i'm asking on their behalf i'm not asking on behalf of the world While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them and not one of them was lost except for the one destined to be lost so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. I speak these things in the world so that they may be, they may have my joy, made complete in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. Because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Uh, friends, our second Bible reading is from Sophie Gerber, and she's going to come up and read for us from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Good morning, everybody. The second Bible reading today is from Philippians Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Paul said, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Well, it's terrific to be with you all this morning. Uh, Let's pray as we look into God's word. Almighty God, we thank you for your holy word. May it be a lantern to our feet a light to our paths, and strength to our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, in the 1950s, in fact, it was in 1950, a Gallup poll was given to a group of American high school students asking them this question. Do you think you're an important person? Only 12% of them said yes. Now, fast forward to 2006, The same poll was given to the grandchildren's generation, the generation of uh, the grandchildren, the first people who'd done the poll back in 1950. How many do you think answered yes in 2006? The answer was 80% of people said that they did think that they were an important person. So what's happened in the intervening years? Well, you could say that we've had a self-esteem revolution. As a culture, we've massively invested in the idea that high self esteem was the antidote to unhappiness and self destructive behaviours. We think that a human being is most fulfilled when he or she is able to express themselves, to find the inner, who they really are inside, and to give full expression to it as best they can. There was, of course, a bestseller uh, for, uh, for uh, parents back in the day called Your Child's Self-Esteem by uh, Dorothy Corkill Briggs, who later went on to write a book for adults called Celebrate Yourself. And Briggs was an example of this new philosophy of parenting in the 60s, 70s, and 80s that focused on teaching self-worth as the key to happiness. Now, this is surely not a bad thing, you'd think, particularly if the opposite message is shaming and belittling people, especially children. We don't want to do that. It's a good thing that people grow up with a positive rather than a negative image message about themselves. But as a culture, we've become self-centred to the point of narcissism. And this has impacted the way we think about everything from schools to workplaces to families and even to churches. An American social commentator called Yuval Levin puts it this way. We now think of institutions less as formative and now as performative. Not formative, but now performative. Less as moulds for our character and behaviour and more as platforms for us to perform on, to stand on, more as platforms for us to stand on and be seen. And so from one arena to the other, we see people uh, using institutions as stages, as a way to raise their profile and build their brand. But has this made us more happy? By almost every measure, the answer is no. Just to take three examples. The youth suicide rate in Australia has tripled since 1950. Rates of anxiety and depression are markedly higher than they were even in the mid-1990s. A number of sociological studies have shown that people in wealthy Western countries are growing less happy, not more, as year succeeds to year. Now, the Gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us a radically different message. It's hard for us to hear it, because it blasphemes against the gospel of the centred self, of the self at the centre. It involves you not being at the centre of the universe. And here is its message. You are valuable, but not because you are talented and expressive, but because in Christ Christ you are loved. And your meaning and purpose comes not from seeking your own interests, but in seeking the interests of others now paul uh, in the letter of the, uh, the philippians has been encouraging the philippians to stick at following christ even though he's in prison and even though they're facing persecution We've read that so far in chapter one of Philippians. They're under pressure from the outside. And you know what happens to groups when they're under pressure from the outside, don't you? They start or they're tempted to start infighting. And we can see a little bit of that creeping in in chapter one. Paul is concerned that there will be or there already is division amongst the Philippians. But Paul says it's imperative that you guys stand firm and strive together for the gospel. And Tim talked about that last week. I remember him talking about the kayakers striving together. That's what we're to be like, striving together for the gospel. But how are the Philippians to do this? Well, that's where these beautiful verses from chapter one, from chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, come in. And Paul starts in verse 1 by reminding the Philippians of the benefits they have of being in Christ, of exactly what it is that they've received in Christ. They're beautiful words. If, then, he says, there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy. He's asking the Philippians to look and and remember their Christian experience. Was was there any encouragement? And the answer, of course, is yes, there was massive encouragement. Was there consolation? Yes, there was massive consolation. Was there sharing in the Spirit of Jesus? Yes. Was there compassion and sympathy? I don't think that Paul is in any doubt that if the Philippians were to consider their Christian experience, they would say, yes, we have all of these things. He's reminding us here of the things that flow to us from the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do we get from Jesus Christ when we believe that he who died and rose again is Lord? If we believe that good news... Then we have the encouragement that comes from him. We have the consolation that knowing that his love is for us, the blessing of being saved, not as individuals, not just as individuals, but as a community and of knowing the compassion and sympathy for us that comes from the heart of God Himself. And it comes to us not because we are deserving and worthy, but despite who we are. We've received this blessing, not because of our merits, but despite our sins. In the midst of fear and uncertainty, then, Paul turns to the gospel. Courage, consolation from love, sharing, compassion, sympathy. We have all of these, despite who we are. And these should now flow through us and shape us. Has God shown you his love? Has God shown you his comfort? Is he your consolation? Do you know his spirit? Do you know from him compassion and sympathy? Then these should flow through you into your way of life. These realities are the basis for who you now are. What a contrast that is from the approval of the world or the success we think we ought to be. This is solid this is real and I want to ask you today do you know these things have you received the good news and know the joy that comes from forgiveness felt the realization that Jesus not only just died but died for you while you were still a sinner and perhaps you you did know this once but you need to put it in the microwave for a few minutes to warm it up to reheat that these things are the petrol in the engine of the Christian. They are what drive us to be different. But we so easily forget. We become familiar with the miracle. It can be a bit like having a great harbor view in your house. And you know, I've visited people around the eastern suburbs, and I walk into the house, and I, I can't take my eyes off the stunning view becomes difficult to concentrate you're in you've got so much beauty in front of you but I know what it's like if you have a beautiful view in front of you and you live with it day by day it becomes old and you don't even notice it and when you have a visitor who says wow it says wow that's a great view you you shrug your your shoulders and you say well I suppose yes it is you've seen it before and it perhaps doesn't move you as it once did don't ever let the gospel of Jesus Christ fail to move you. Don't ever let it grow stale and cold, says Paul. Remember those things that came in the gospel to you. And so now, says Paul, remembering those things, make his joy complete by letting them shape your life together in every way. This would be the cherry on the top of the cake for Paul. If you could hear that the Philippians We're unified because of their great humility and because of their concern for the interests of others. There's three things that will show that the Philippians have got it, that will show that we've got it too. If we are of one mind, if we're marked by humility, and if we look to the interests of others. So, says Paul, be of one mind. This will show that you understand the gospel, that it's really soaking through you, permeating you. The Philippians, we are to be one, are united in mind and to live in harmony with one another. We are to be a community, not divided, but united. We are to live a life worthy of the gospel by striving together in the gospel, but by also striving to agree with one another. Now, what does this mean? You know, we do have deep disagreements between us over profound issues. We have people in our congregation who vote differently. And not only do they vote differently, they care about it. It matters to us how we vote. We have people who have passionately held views on everything from climate change to rugby league teams. And these views are not the same. We don't even necessarily agree with everything that our church decides to do. So in what are we to be of one mind? How are we to be in agreement? Are we all supposed to agree, for example, with the leader? Uh, could it be that I just set an agenda and tell everyone what to think and you are all supposed to just agree with me? Well, tempting though that might be, uh, that's not in the New Testament ever. Some churches do make unity in agreement about that, but even though it might be convenient, it's not what's meant here. No, we are to agree... In the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the deep truth of the death of Jesus Christ for our sins that is supposed to animate us and around which we are supposed to gather. And that's why Christians have long when they when they gather together stood to acknowledge to say together creeds like the Apostles Creed. That's why we sing together the same words. We're signaling not that we agree about everything but that we are of one mind about the big thing, about the gospel, the message of God to humankind. And we seek deep agreement and harmony in this. And this is not just an abstract truth, it's not just a theory, a theoretical truth, but one that should bear fruit in our relationships with one another. It should shape our community. This is because of what the message about Jesus is in the first place. If we really believe it, we believe the story about God uh, of God and His love for His people, even while they were still sinners. If we really believe it, then we seek, we, we become those who seek to live in harmony with those who know the same truth. And so our singing together and our meeting together and our declaring the same truths together are not merely box ticking exercises but mean that we seek to live together in harmony despite our other differences. That's why it's so important, even when we're apart now, that we continue to express our unity, our harmony, by saying together and singing together and standing together for these same truths. Because if you know the gospel, you know that you're not the centre of the universe. And so how are we to live this out? How are we going to be of one mind Well, Paul gives it to us neat. He says, Do not do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. We live in a world in which success at any price is celebrated. We overlook the arrogance of the successful and their selfish ambition to climb over the bodies of others to get to the top. We celebrate it. And sadly, That spirit infects the church sometimes too. I recently heard a story about a megachurch pastor who was heard saying, I'm quite a big deal, you know. To be fair, he was probably caught out saying what a lot of us secretly think. But that's not the way taught to us by Jesus. We are not to be full of ourselves. Selfish ambition and conceit leads either to tyrannical abuse or deep division. We can't all be special ones, can we? Instead, says Paul, be humble, have humility. Now, Paul says here in our English translation, regard others as better than yourselves. Now, I don't think he's saying that Tim Escott has to believe that he is not as good at playing the bass as me, when he clearly is much better at that. There's not a hint of denying the truth or of self-hatred here. What he's telling us is to give up that natural tendency some of us have to think that we're better than everyone else, to think more of others than of ourselves, to regard the interests of others as more important than those of ourselves. The Harvard philosopher Michael Sandel recently wrote a great book, or read it over Christmas, called The Tyranny of Merit. And he says that the gospel of our society is this. These are his words. If I'm responsible for having accrued a handsome share of worldly goods, income and wealth, power and prestige, I must deserve them. Success is a sign of virtue. My affluence is my due. But you and I don't believe that gospel. We believe that we have all fallen short of the glory of God and that we're justified only by the grace of God. We aren't more deserving than anyone else. We need to give up that poisonous delusion and instead pursue humility, considering, the others, considering others more often than ourselves. And that's quite a practical piece of advice From Paul, he's got some focus for us here. He tells us that we should look to the interests of others and not to our own. Here's, in verse 4, here's a new mission. Make it your ambition to make others shine. In the light of the gospel, be yourself devoted to the interests of others. And I know that immediately when you hear that, your heart sinks, because mine does, and you think, but what if no one looks to my interests? If I don't look after no one, number one, who will? There's a risk we take here, isn't there? You may be overlooked. But remember, the basis for our humility is the depths of the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. Because we haven't been overlooked And so we know that it's not what we merit, but that we are loved. That gives us the basis then to look to the interests for others. And so if we're a community shaped by the gospel, marked by love, bathed in the compassion of Christ, then we will all be seeking the good of one another. Our oneness of mind will come because we are not seeking to get one over the other person but instead because we are seeking what is good for them. The church is not a stage in which to perform yourself, but a community in which to be forged for the sake of others. We are like an extraordinary cathedral roof in which no stone bears its own weight, but rather each stone bears the weight of another. And so what are the interests of others? Does that question shape how you think of our church community? Instead of your own needs, are you helping to meet the needs of others? Who among us needs company or encouragement? And this has particularly been sharpened in this time of lockdown, hasn't it? Are you so self-absorbed that you never encourage or thank anyone? Do you use your money? What do you use it for, to buy more toys and trinkets or for the sake of others? Do you think of people who are beneath you? Or actually, do you even have that category of people beneath you? Now, especially, this is a principle that those of us who are most able and have most power need to take heed of because we find it hardest to believe. Look not to our own interests, But to the interests of others, in all humility, regard others as better than yourselves." So here's the challenge for us. To become people who, because Christ has died for us, are not self-centered, but other-centered. We have to learn the shocking news that we aren't the center of the universe after all, and accept the deep truth. That our value and significance comes because the Father loves us so much that Christ died for us. Now I don't underestimate the shock that this is. You may need to weep for the glorious self that you thought you were but that in Christ now you have to give up. That is part of becoming a Christian, the process of conversion, giving up the myth we have about our own significance And coming instead to Christ. You need to end it with that self though, like breaking up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you know is bad for you and instead find yourself in Christ and his purpose for you to be for others. There's to be nothing self-centered about the people of God. That's not how we are to live and that's not how we are to teach children to live either. We need to teach them to seek their own significance in God's love for them, and to model this in our own lives, too. I find it curious. Uh, It's interesting in education now, if you go to school websites, uh, schools don't advertise themselves as uh, teaching children humility and service of others, do they? I mean, it's really about finding them their true selves, expressing them, your, your child, actualizing their own potential. Not about humility. It would be great to see Christian schools perhaps offering uh, to, to teach children true humility and lives of service of other people. We as the church, we practice, we try and inculturate this in ourselves by the habit of confession each week as a rem- regular reminder that our confidence is not in ourselves but in Christ. In the old, the old prayer book, we used to say the words, We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs from under thy table. This is uncomfortable language that people used to say week by week, yet powerfully true. Of course, it's married too with the invitation to lift up our hearts because Christ has died for us. And God, we know powerfully, loves us. How do you think of your ambitions for your life? What do you see yourself doing with your career and why? In the workplace and in your family, are you the narcissist around which everything revolves? Or do people recognise you as a person who, like Jesus Christ, gives up his rights for the sake of others or her rights? Do you exploit and tyrannise, manipulate and dominate? Do you divide people or do you unite them? One of our problems is, that we think we either have to be the centre of everything or we're nothing at all. The Gospel gives us, however, a new centre, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the good news is that he graciously includes us, makes us significant in his love and shares with us his extraordinary purposes in the world. And as we'll see next week... In Jesus Christ himself, we have an extraordinary example of humility to follow. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.